0: Oh, <laughs> 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 duty Okay. The um, the verses that I uh, use to um, make the request for a Dhamma talk. These are, you find in different Buddhist traditions, and um, they uh, uh, they come from the time shortly after the Buddha's enlightenment where, reflecting on the insight that had arisen, his insight into uh, the true nature of reality, and the thought was that this is so subtle, this is so abstruse, this is uh, so hard to see, this has taken me so long, uh, and such uh, extraordinary amount of work over the ages to um, to cultivate the, the way to, to seeing this, that no one else is ever going to understand it. There's no point in me even trying. I, you know, I'll just kind of go meditate on my own and uh, not bother trying to explain this or teach anyone. And so then uh, this thought that had arisen in the mind of the Buddha, this, this uh, um, motivation towards uh, inactivity, of, uh, of uh, not trying to teach, uh, found its way through the ether and was overheard by this uh, Brahma god called uh, Sahampati, who was the... Um, the Brahma Sahampati is like the, the, the uh, governor of the universe, a CEO <laughs> of this particular realm of the... Uh, they call it the, uh, the Chakavala, and so then Sahampati, hearing this thought, um, realizes that uh, this is uh, uh, after all these eons of, of um, development, the whole career of the Bodhisattva and his potential to be able to help other living beings is going to be lost because of this thought like no one's going to understand it. So he thinks, quick intervention. So he beams down from the Brahma realm and appears in front of the, the Buddha. And says, um, uh, there are some beings in this world uh, who have only a little bit of dust in their eyes. Yeah, it's true. There are a lot of us are pretty thick and pretty lost and and buried uh, in our confusions. But there are some with only a little bit of dust in their eyes. And for the sake of those, you know, please teach the the dhamma that you've understood. So the Buddha then using his um, extensive uh, psychic abilities and cast his vision around the world and said, yeah, yeah you, he's right. There are, there are some beings with just a little bit of obscuration, a little bit of dust in their eyes, and they're they are ones that will understand. So then he, he undertook his uh, career of teaching. and traveled uh, around uh, India for the next 45 years in, uh, imparting that, that very understanding. And we, uh, 2,500 years later, are still benefiting from the, uh, the uh, um, proactive role of uh, the Brahma, Sahampati, so we should be very, very grateful to that particular being. And so this is the way that uh, Dharma talks are always, uh, well not always, but usually uh, requested, is that um, rather than Buddhism being a, a kind of a proselytizing religion where one is sort of standing up on the soapbox and saying, let me tell you all about it. This is the greatest thing you've ever heard. You know, do this and you'll be fine. Uh, it's like, it has to be coaxed forth. Like, you know, we sort of, we would all just sort of sit here silent and then, please tell us something, tell us something. We've been sitting here for days. Well, all right. <laughs> so it's a, it's, it's like a, um, the impetus is coming from the interest, the appetite of the listeners, rather than from the um, enthusiasm of the speaker <laughs> or the missionary zeal of the of the speaker so it's a, it creates this kind of dynamic uh, that 's uh, persisted over these centuries so um, during the last uh, day or two. Um, during the question session yesterday and during some of the interviews it's uh, come up we talked a bit about um, the relationship between you know, feeling and desire uh, about becoming, and uh, talked a little bit about dependent origination so I thought I would uh, say a few things about that this evening, if of course if there was an interest <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so uh, one of the the uh, unique things about about buddha Dharma, and again harking back to the time of the, the buddha's enlightenment was um, this particular teaching the uh, the teachings on dependent origination and uh, it was a during in a way his enlightenment was was the insight into this very process it was that it was seeing clearly for the first time, how this whole process worked that he'd never seen uh, in such a clear way before, and had never been formulated before. He'd never heard it from anywhere else; hadn't received it from a teacher. It it arose uh, clearly and uh, visibly, um, and it's described how, for the uh, the weeks immediately after the enlightenment, for the first week after the enlightenment, he sat for a week without moving, um, contemplating the uh, dependent origination the um, and i 'll go through it in, the, in a little bit more detail uh, as we go along this evening, but if you spend a week contemplating it in the in the uh, arising phase uh, how uh, there comes in how a be how beings uh, arise and the uh, the um, the patterns of experience arise how they take shape how the feelings of, of Dukkha of alienation and difficulty arise. And and uh, the whole uh, process, he spent a week going um, uh, over, investigating. Then the next week, um, again sitting for seven days without moving, he contemplated the cessation, the dependent cessation, how um, the... the um, that process uh, comes, is brought to an end, how it is stopped, how that, the origination of, of dukkha is uh, halted from, from uh, occurring, called the paticca nirodha, the dependent cessation. And then uh, the third week, he spent, again, seven days sitting without moving, contemplating both in forward and reverse order, backwards and forwards arising in cessation arising in cessation, so that uh, um, whether one believes the you know the, the details of it in, in, um, uh, or you know, you find it, might find it hard to imagine you could a sit without moving for a week when you know even three quarters of an hour is <laughs> very testing. <laughs> And then you think, well, and all you did, you know, okay, maybe you can sit still for a week, but all you're going to do is contemplate, you know, the 12 links of dependent arising. That's not a terribly interesting week, you know. (laughs) Didn't he get bored? But um, what, uh, what it's describing is he was investigating the very fabric of experience, the very fabric of being. How beings come into existence, how that whole conundrum of our existence as humans—the whole the uh, the experience of not only this time but of of many, many previous lifetimes—of how the whole thing, the, the the array of experience, how it emerges, what causes it, how it arises, and how it ceases, and the interrelationship of all the different pieces of the puzzle. And as I said, you know, he didn't actually have the pieces sort of arranged neatly for him. It wasn't like he he sort of uh, received it as a as a piece of knowledge from somewhere else. It was something that had emerged and taken shape and was crystallized through his own insight. So it was an amazing uh, kind of discovery. And uh, and it's also said that this is the same insight that all all Buddhas. All those who are perfectly awakened, they all discover this for themselves without without receiving it from a from an external teacher. The um, one of the the uh, uh, unique features of Buddha Dharma is also that, um, that whereas most religions. Have some kind of creation myth Um, all religions uh, are uh, in a way faced with with several different questions which you can boil down to a couple of key ones which is which are uh, how did we get here how did I get here and what am I supposed to do now (laughs) yeah and that, uh, whereas in most religions, they, they answer these questions, um, like where do we come from and where are we going, in terms of um, like a creation myth, a creation story. You know, how, how the universe was created, how the whole thing came into being, and whether it's a, a, the, the biblical story of, of uh, Adam and Eve in the garden, and, and God creating you know, heaven and earth. Or you have any of the other thousands of creation myths from cultures all around the world. Um, that's uh, you know, very, very common, you know, almost standard for every religious form. Um, and uh, say in the Christian tradition, the the um, the the answer or the the. Um, the pointer to you know, where we're going or, or, or what we're supposed to do now is, is uh, exemplified by the story of Jesus and the, the, uh, the crucifixion and his teachings about the, the kingdom of God, As, you know, where we, uh, if we get it right, where we're all headed for. And that the, um, the pattern is one of a very, you know, um, kind of on a cosmological level. It's uh, spread out over, you know, a creation that happened way back in the past, and a and a, a resolution of the human condition that's going to happen sort of way off in the in the far future. And again, this is this is very uh, very common understanding for most religions how they work. Well, the, the Buddha took a, a different approach, even though within the Buddhist scriptures you do have a creation myth. In the long discourse, is called the Aganya Sutta. It's called the the discourse on the the origins of things. But it's kind of remarkable because it's like, well, this is if you want to know how a universe begins, it's like this. You know, this is the way it happens. You know, this is the mechanics of a universe beginning. But you know, it's not really that important. <laughs> it's kind of not that big of a deal. So uh, there is a creation story, but it's not the key thing. And what you have in the the emphasis in in Buddha Dharma is um, rather than how did the universe begin or where is the, you know, the universe headed you know, in the far future and uh, you know, where, is it, where is our evolution heading towards, it brings it right back to the human level, to our experiential level of, of here and now. And it says, well, and the Buddha said, well, you know, okay, when a universe comes into being, it comes into being like this, but actually uncountable, inconceivably Numerous times have universes come into being and collapsed, and come into being and collapsed, like the Big Bang uh, followed by a Big Crunch, then another Big Bang and another Big Crunch. <laughs> Just inconceivable, incalculable numbers of times, you know, more times than the sand grains in the Ganges River. And uh, so, uh, and then someone would say, "What about the uh, the ultimate beginning of things?" And he said, "This is one of the imponderables." So if you try and figure out the ultimate origin of things, you'll either go crazy or your head will explode. It's not, it's not conceivable. So he deliberately drew his attention away from that and said, well, instead of looking at, trying to look at the ultimate origin of all things, let's look and see how the problems arise. Let's see how dukkha arises. And so this is what dependent origination is about and the teachings about karma and rebirth are about... How does the the feeling of of dukkha arise and again dukkha is translated as a suffering, but it's a um, it's a very broad term really, so it can mean uh, everything from dis- discontent dissatisfaction alienation, um, just the feeling of wrongness, the feeling of of the universe being out of order. It can be the most um, subtle uh, sense of uh, I say, fragility of you know, uh, of a, a very beautiful and pure mind state. It can be that even if something that we experience can be in itself absolutely pleasant and delightful, the very fact that we can't keep it, we can't hold it, the very fact that it's not really ours, is the dukkha within it. There's a there's a a, a, a shadow, a, a a bitterness kind of buried deep within there. That you know when that that state fades away, then the sense of loss, the separation from that beautiful, exquisite, wonderful, expansive feeling, then the, the, the sense of, of loss is immense. So this is like the dukkha of, that's there in the, in the beautiful, in the, the, in the lovely, in the perfect. So uh, these teachings on dependent origination are trying to point out how that arises how that comes into being. And then the, um, so that's like in, in the place of the origin story. It's like, okay, let's talk about how dukkha arises, where that comes from. And then similarly, in terms of, uh, of um, where we're going, or, or where, uh, where the universe is headed, again, the Buddha so, you know, treats it in exactly the same way. This is the patichin the cessation. This is the looking at how that difficulty that 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 uh, dukkha is resolved how it's how it's abandoned how it's um, transcended so that these are are um, drawn out of the whole kind of cosmological level and brought back to our own life now also that it'd be easy enough to sit here for a week and, and talk about dependent origination there's many many dimensions to it so I'll just touch on a A couple of areas. Um, It's a a succession of 12 different elements. The first of these is uh, ignorance, avijja. The word vijja means knowledge, knowing, awareness. And avijja means unawareness, not knowing, nascience, or ignorance is how it's usually translated. So what this means is that the problems start as soon as we lose mindfulness. As soon as awareness is obscured, as soon as that knowing, that natural, <coughs> aware, awake quality of mind is occluded, then the seeds of trouble are planted. And um, the, first, so the, the, the first element of the, the arising uh, of, of dukkha is ignorance. So out of... Um, Out of that, then, there's it it causes that ignorance, gives rise to conditions, sankhara, avitya-pachaya-sankhara, which means ignorance uh, conditions, formations, or or separation. So uh, one way of looking at this is that as soon as we lose our mindfulness, as soon as the awareness slips, then the seeds of the subject-object relationship arises. There's a as a, a knower here, experiencing a, a known out there. There's a as a here and there's a there. There's a this and a that, a me and an other. And uh, that so that's a natural result of of uh, ignorance. When there's no ignorance, when there's mindfulness, then the heart recognizes that that those that division between self and other, in here and there, this and that it sees those as um, being a conditional or, or relative or, or uh, appearances only. But when there's ignorance, then they, they start to solidify. Now, further down the track, um, we then have um, that, that, that separation of, of here and there, this and that and so forth, that... Um, Gets developed until there is a whole, um, say, concretization of the the person here and it's surrounded by a world out there. We have the, the body and mind take on a solidity of their own, um, and that we are, um, we find, say, that there's me here with his eyes, ears, nose, tongue, body, and mind, and the world out there. Um, this, the what's called the six senses, and then that the the six senses receive the sight, sound, smell, taste, and touch. They're impacted by the objects of the external world, and then the 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 internal world of thought and and memory and feeling. The 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 sixth sense of the the, the mind sense is uh, is impacted by the the changes of the mental world, so that then. Uh, so this is called salayatana, or the six senses. And because of the six senses, then there's there's this quality of contact. When light meets the eye, and then uh, vision arises, this is called contact. He, the ear receives sound, this is called. Uh, and hearing arises, it's called contact, and so forth. So because of having this sensitive body, and because of, of uh, this body existing in a a, a complex natural um, interrelated organism of of, uh, the natural world, then there's this impingement. Contact is happening. And then that contact, as we all know, produces different feelings. Pleasant feelings, painful feelings, neutral feelings. um, Is the way it's categorized. Um, And then... (coughs) that um, we are, uh, say, at that point, still able to um, understand or or know those feelings uh, with a a quality of of clarity, of awareness. Even though there's that subject-object division is, is kind of well set in, or there's this feeling of me here and the world out there, we can still, in a way, keep a handle on it. we can still there 's still some room to maneuver. Um, we can live in the world of feeling without uh, um, getting really lost in uh, in the textures of, of pain or the textures of, of pleasure. We can experience the, the the feelings of of self and other um, and not be undiluted by that that 's possible for us it 's a bit more difficult than and if the um the uh, we had not sort of slipped from the place of of kind of pure awareness in the first place, but given that that uh sort of degree of um say uh, solidification concretization of of uh the sense world we can we can be with it without getting totally lost in it it's like there's uh, there's that. Uh, uh, enough mindfulness is, is sustained so this in terms of, our, of a retreat like this or you know, doing the, our meditation practice this means that we can as we were saying the other day we can experience uh, the beautiful or the, the delicious the, a sweet sound a, a beautiful form delicious taste we can, we can taste that, we can smell that we can feel that uh, we can see that and we can we can apprehend that feeling and recognize its aesthetic beauty, and yet be unconfused by that. That can be something that is, is delicious, but um, there's a, uh, and there's an appreciation of that. But but there's also a peacefulness uh, that that um, that accompanies it. Similarly, we can experience difficulty or pain or struggle. Um, and that we can be with it, we can know it. And again, that's, that's held within an environment of, of peacefulness, of clarity, so that we, are, we know it's painful, uh, but we're not um, fearing it, rejecting it, hating it, trying to run away from it. There's a, 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 an equipoise, an equanimity in relationship to it. So as long as we can sustain our mindfulness just at the, at the level of feeling, then basically we, we're doing fine. <laughs> but of course that's very difficult for us to do because um, the, the habit is that whenever there's a, a painful feeling, then we want to reject it, we want to escape from it, we need to get away from it. There's a pleasant feeling, um, then we want to pursue it, we want to keep it, we want to get more of it, we want to capitalize on it. And if there's a neutral feeling, it's really boring and we're not interested in it. So we, we doze off. <laughs> and so that it it's, uh, becomes uninteresting, we, we become dull and, and numb. So that the, what we call the, the three poisons greed, hatred, and delusion they're all, if you like, the expansions on these uh, pleasant feeling, painful feeling, um, neutral feeling. That the pleasant gives rise to greed. The painful gives rise to hatred or aversion, and the neutral gives rise to delusion. And this is where it all... You know, so this is really where the trouble begins. And uh, the, um, the cycle of dependent origination then, you, so you have the uh, ignorance, conditions, formations, formations, conditions, consciousness, and mind and body, mind and body, condition, the, the six senses. Six senses and condition contact, con- contact conditions, feeling, then feeling, then conditions craving. So this is the the, the kind of key link in the whole process. Because if we can just contain it up to feeling, then basically we're we're still in free space. As soon as feeling conditions craving, then, you know, it's like the, uh, the fire is lit. And the fire is no longer contained in the neat, neat little um, jars on the shrine. You know, the fire is sort of heading up the curtains and <laughs> taking over the house. So um, sometimes uh, tanha, so the, the, the word for feeling is vedana. Those of you who've done retreats with Mr. Goenka, were are very familiar with, with feeling, and meditation on feeling, vedana. Uh, and then the word for craving, which is obvi- often translated as desire, is tanha. Tanha. Um, and so it's important to understand the difference between these two. Like, like I was emphasizing that we can have a feeling of liking something, and we can have a feeling that something is beautiful or delicious, without there being craving. So sometimes people get confused about desire. Like, well, you know, the, are all desires bad? Is desire, you know, it says desire is the cause of suffering. Why is that? You know, if I desire to help my child you know, to get through school, is that, a, you know, is that going to be a problem? <laughs> I desire to go to the bathroom. Is that you know going to be difficult for me? So no, probably not. It'll probably be good for you. <laughs> so that, that it's distinguishing the difference between desire and craving. So that's why I prefer the word craving for tanha, because tanha always has this sort of self-based, agitated, kind of slightly frenzied quality to it. The um, uh, whereas desire, sometimes you, you can have wholesome desires, like the the word uh, the other word for desire that's 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 uh, used is uh, chanda. So you can have dhamma chanda, the desire for the dhamma. Also, you can have karma chanda, which is a sense desire. So that that's probably a better translation for the English word desire. But tanha, it's impossible to have any kind of wholesome. Uh, association with that. You can't, you can't have craving for enlightenment. You're craving for, for goodness. It's just the words don't really go together. So tanha really has that agitated, self-based uh, quality to it. So then tanha leads to, to clinging. So just as the, the, the mind latches on to a... You know, you know, we, we, we see an object... And I think, oh, that's quite a beautiful little clock. Then Tanhar is, hmm, I want one. <laughs> I want it. And then, so that's the sort of, you, you've, somehow the universe has collapsed to this one thing. And that we've suddenly gone from a state of, when we're living in the world of feeling, we're in a state of wholeness. As soon as we move into craving, then we're in a state of lack. It's like, I'm now missing this clock the universe is missing this piece, and if, if I get to own this clock, then I'll be complete. I want it. So then there's a craving, and then clinging is like taking hold of it. It's like the the commitment to that pursuit. So there's a, like a, a moving out towards the, the object. Then, so clinging is upadana. Uh, and then grasping... Um, uh, clinging, grasping, are you sort of uh, interchangeably. Cling, it's like that—that that commitment, having followed the desire, it's like—is you know, the uh, the movement to take hold. And a you know, and during this process, then the level of agitation and the narrowing of the focus is is, is increasing, so that the, you know, the the attention is completely locked onto that. So then, becoming is that which is bhava, is the moment of getting. Or actually, when the moment when you know you're about to get, that's the most exciting bit. <laughs> the, the moment just before gratification, when you know you're absolutely guaranteed to get what you want, but you haven't quite got it yet. That's the sort of peak thrill. <laughs> so as I like to point out, this is what the entire consumer culture revolves around. That is—is is that's what drives the whole uh, materialistic consumer culture is, is that thrill of me getting and that um, we are, um, that's the drug the drug of choice <laughs> in, in our culture is that however we happen to, to find it that, that's the kick, that, um, that thrill of, of becoming because at that moment it's like, I right, got it but then, shortly after the, the the becoming, you know, we all know that experience of when you suddenly you've got what it was you were chasing after. Then there's birth, which is the, you know, the the, the irreversible commitment. It's like aha, uh-huh. okay. After the birth, there comes twenty years of nappy changing, feeding, uh, you know, sleepless nights. School fees, <laughs> missing motor cars, <laughs> <laughs> university fees. All those of you who are parents can, uh, can uh, resonate with this. So that the um, that quality of... of uh, the, the, the moment when it's absolutely gratifying is in the, the bhava stage, the becoming stage. So that's why it's most addictive. It's like it's like at that moment, it's like you're you're on the, the crest of the wave. Like yes, got it. It's like when you've won the prize, you kind of hit the the winning stroke. It's like yes. And then, as a friend of mine who was a a, a champion wrestler, said that when he won the couple of years in a row, he won the Eastern States um, Wrestling Championship in the states as a, when he was in high school. He said. It was about ten minutes. It was this absolute bliss, and after ten minutes, you could see the other guys who he would just beaten, all kind of eyeing him like, "Okay, next year, kid." Yeah. <laughs> so then it was a, it was wonderful. It was perfect for ten minutes, and then there was the grief of having to do it again. <laughs> the pressure, the the you know, the fear, the the excitement, the longing, the strain, the stress. So. Um, what happens then is uh, as we, uh, the reason why the Buddha said that the you know, desire is the cause of suffering, that karma, tanha, bhavatanna, tanha, sense desire, uh, the desire to become, the desire to get rid of, these are the causes of, of suffering because like, this is the, the kind of, the, the point where we, where we really start to lose it. And if we, uh, if we have watched this pattern ourselves, I mean, during the last few days we've been together, you can, we can guarantee that all of us have, have witnessed this pattern over and over and over again, because as we uh, are presented with you know a thing that we want to get rid of, I want to get rid of my problems, I want to get rid of my busy mind, I want to get rid of this pain in my leg. If there's only there wasn't this pain in my leg or my back or my head or my heart or someplace, this just what if. <laughs> If I could just get rid of this, if I could just get rid of my problem, then, be, then there would be me without the problem. <laughs> Fine, right? Wrong. <laughs> because it doesn't work that way. You know, it's called Vibhava Tanna, the desire to get rid of. The desire to become, trying to become peaceful, to become enlightened, to become the, the star meditator. See if you get the prize at the end of the retreat. A little kind of golden Buddha badge, you can say. <laughs> <laughs> Meditator of the week award. You know, she who never wobbled. <laughs> <laughs> Special extra merit badges for showing up at all the sittings. Never nodding during the morning meditation. <laughs> Laughing at all the jokes. You get three golden Buddhas for that, yeah. You know. So the, what we find is that, that we do, there is that moment of gratification when we do manage to get rid of something or we get hold of something. We, we, we gain our, our desired object. There is the thrill. This is called the um, asada in Pali. Asada is the, is the yes moment. But then the partner of Asada, its twin, is Adinava, which is the um variously translated as the the downfall or <laughs> the shadow or the um the the painful consequence because as we 're all uh, deeply familiar with once we've we've you know pursued something we 've got something that we want, just like you know my friend who was the wrestler like then. The the, re- the rest of the package becomes visible. You know, we realize the rest of the deal. Like when you fall in love with someone, you realize you don't get all the bits that you like. That after a while, you realize you get the bits that you don't particularly like. You know, they all come in the same package. <laughs> or when you've been in love with someone and then you start falling out of love with them, then the things that were charming and beautiful and you know, exotic little quirks become infuriating. Revolting habits that <laughs> disgust you. you go, how come six months ago that was so sweet, <laughs> and now it's it's nauseating? What happened? This has happened to all of us. Same with Buddhism. <laughs> 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 yeah, you know, so. we were just talking at tea time about how you know when we. People hear the Pali chanting for the first time and say, Oh wow, that's so amazing, that's the most beautiful, that's the most wonderful thing I've ever heard, that's so inspiring, that's incredible, that's fantastic, that's marvelous. You say, It is? <laughs> Our chanting, are you sure? You know, you've been doing it for twenty years, it got so familiar and you just you know, it's just uh, lost its zane. You know, you Oh, interesting. So that we we see that process whereby once we 're born into something we 've committed our heart to to getting this new job or getting this new piece of clothing or getting a new meditation posture or getting a new uh, a, a new train of thought <laughs> <laughs> and then it uh it gets boring, it gets stale it's like oh or you get the you get the the um the credit card bill you know <laughs> it's like oh yes, yeah, the bill I have to pay there's the downside, the adinava that comes with it, and then um you know that the promise of of satisfaction that the you know the, the little co- the clock you know once once i 've got it it'll make me happy then there's the what's uh um in the, the morning chanting, we do the Soka Parideva Duka Domanasa Upayasa, sorrow, lamentation, pain, grief, and despair. You know, that uh, uh, it uh, characterizes that feeling uh, of of disappointment, of, of this kind of desert feeling, the heart in the desert, of 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 loss, of lack, of incompleteness that it can only sustain that thrill for a little while. You know, it can be you know, some time. But it, uh, it, it necessarily has to fade. That's the way the, the laws of nature work. So then, um, having committed ourselves to that and then experiencing the lack of, or the loss of that, then we feel like there's a missing piece. There's, 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 we're still in a... We've come back to that place of incompleteness. And so, if we don't realise what's going on, then what we do is we 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 find ourselves in this hungry uh, state. Like if you have a particular addiction, you know, if there's a uh, a um, you know after you've you've fulfilled that particular craving, you know, the addiction is still there. You've increased the habituation to it by following the the addiction. So then, once the hit has worn off, then uh, the craving kicks in again. We're, we're in a state of lack, and then uh, as soon as an opportunity arises, as soon as the senses contact another one of the, 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 you know, the favored things, you know, a different clock or a, you know, a different partner or a different religion or a different sitting position or a different something, then it says, oh, that feeling of pleasantness, that recognition of, oh, last time that felt really good because we, what, we're, what we're, we're convinced by is the last time that we felt really good was at the moment of becoming. That's when our, la- our life last felt whole. So that then even though this particular thing has just failed me, then it's like, whoa, maybe this one, maybe the next one, maybe that, that'll uh, make me complete. And so we go around again. Feeling, craving, clinging, becoming, birth, aging, death, soka dukkha dukadomanasa upayasa, sorrow, lamentation, pain, grief, and despair. Or the, the probably more useful term is uh, that I like to use is ego death. Like the ego dies, like I die, like that feeling of of a uh, kind of barrenness and 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 sort of pain in the heart, hunger of the heart. So this is what we mean by karma and rebirth. Karma means literally means action. Rebirth is, uh, is this whole process, being reborn into things. And then as long as we don't recognize that process, like feeding that addictive cycle, then whatever it is that we're... we're I mean, and of course, m- most of us have a whole array of different <laughs> rebirth cycles going on at any one particular moment. Whether it's around um, our career, our relationships, our mind states, our meditation practices, our food, uh, whatever you know, we have, you know, all of us have our whole you know, interlocking galaxies of these things revolving. Um, and so, this is what the Buddha pointed to. This is the rebirth cycles that 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 continually recreate. The quality of dukkha in all its dimensions, in all its different places in our life, uh, and that's the bad news. So that's like the 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 cause of suffering, dukkha samudaya, because Sister Jitendra was talking about last night. This is so that the the dependent origination is is like a fine analysis of of the second noble truth. This is how it begins. This is how desire is the you know, craving is the the cause of dukkha. This is this is the fine anatomy of how that process works. So then, the other part of it, and the good news is, you know, the prognosis element you know, is that it is curable. <laughs> this is not the ultimate reality. Dukkha is not the ultimate reality. Sometimes that comes across. You know, that, that, you know the Buddha say, when people quote the Buddha as saying, um, "The li- life is suffering." Say, no, no, no. What he said is, "There is suffering." It's like. Life, meaning life is less than totally blissful all of the time, right? Is anyone here experiencing utter bliss day in and day out? Unutterable bliss day in and day out their entire life? If, they, if you were, you wouldn't be here, I'm sure. So to, um, to point out, yeah, there are times when we don't feel so good. This is why it is. And then uh, Dukhani, uh, the duka, um, the paticha niroda, the dependent cessation, is talking about how we can stop that from happening. That um, how the you know, dukkha is a created thing. That actually the basis of the whole business is is the is the unconditioned, the ultimate reality, the dhamma itself, the satcha dhamma, the true dhamma. That you know that that's the basis. That's the the you know, the, the kind of origin of the whole thing, really. But because that gets uh, missed because of of ignorance that the, the the cloudiness that's a result of past karma that then the whole cycle kicks in so if we uh, take it back to the very beginning, if we uh, don't allow or if there's no ignorance, then we experience that the you know the bliss of of the dhamma the beauty of of the of the true reality of things the heart awake to its own nature the dhamma which is our own our own the nature of our own being our own heart aware of its own nature so ideally sustaining that quality of 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 pure awareness then the the whole you know, dukkha generating cycle doesn't arise. It doesn't doesn't have a chance to begin. Um, and then, if it's already begun, if you're already kind of a few notches down the down the sequence, then um, it, uh, it we we have to work with with wherever we've got to. So that uh, uh, the more acute our mindfulness is, then we can begin to notice that as soon as there's ignorance as soon as there's that you know the loss of mindfulness then the subject object relationship appears. There's a, a person here, a, a knower here and a known out there. It's not just the the um, subjectless, objectless awareness. And we can take that as a sign if the if our attention is, is is sharp enough. Just that basic duality arising is the clue. It's like wait a minute, wait a minute there's a as a here and a there as a subject and an object you know something's gone wrong and taking that as the warning sign, then letting go and and coming back to the 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 quality of of pure awareness subjectless objectless knowing if we're further down the track than that um, down at the level of, of contact and feeling similarly we can uh, we can, as I was describing before, we can live at the level of feeling, and then as that, uh, at the level of feeling, as we see that um, something conditions a, a, a surge of, of craving, uh, you know, a pleasant feeling arouses some greed, or a, a, a painful feeling arouses some aversion, uh, desire to get rid of, desire to become, to get hold of. Then that we take that very arising, that kind of surge of the heart, that kind of movement towards uh, a beautiful object, or the, uh, away from a painful object, or the just the, the fuzzy dulling of a uh, indifference towards a, a neutral object, then that too becomes a sign. It's like, wait a minute, what's happening? There's this, there's this movement. That's the clue. That uh, that something's gone off, that there's an imbalance, and that just as the heart tries to to surge towards that particular thing, to to own it, to possess it, or to to judging it as unimportant, or trying to destroy it, wipe it out, get rid of it, that's the sign, that's the clue. Wake up, let go. The... um, the further we are down the track, then the, the more difficult it becomes to to get off the train. It's like once the, you know, if the train isn't moving, it's a piece of cake. You know, you, you get on and realize, oh, wrong train. You get off again. If the train is rolling, however, <laughs> then it, getting off the train starts to get a bit messy, and so that you have to uh, that once you know the 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 feeling craving. Um, Clinging process is is in. Once we're sort of, once we're just at the the level of craving that there's a tanha has already kicked in, and we realise the clinging is 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 has begun, then we letting go is still doable. When we're right at the becoming stage, there's a serious commitment is already in in motion, so that then, uh, as we all know, when we're already surging towards that you know the the um, the desired object. And you like say you're in the in the, the food line, and you realise there's like one last piece of cake left, and you've been sitting there eyeing it, wrestling like, well, I've already had two, <laughs> but that's going to go to waste. Nobody else is nobody else is going for it, and uh, you know after all, you must be tired. You don't want to be wasteful. <laughs> I should just kind of help do, do my bit to help tidy up the kitchen, and all <laughs> the rationalisations are spinning around, and then. You finally decided to to believe this train of thought, and you're heading towards it. And then you're already uh, you know, three quarters of the way across the floor. It's much harder then to say, "Hold it! You know, I'm already full. I don't need this." It's much harder to, to sort of step back and go to the uh, go back to your table than if you're just sitting there at the table and you're thinking, "Hmm, third piece of cake. Nah, it's a bit over the top." You know. I'm, Already full enough already. So it's harder to to get back from that that uh, surge if we're already moving into it. Uh, But it's still doable. It's still doable. So it's not until the becoming has actually got locked on that we that we can uh, that it's irreversible. And then you have birth, and then there's a commitment to that, and then. All of the, you know, both the thrill and the gratification, and then all of the ardinava, the responsibility and the 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 the, the, um, the shadow, the uh, the consequences that uh, that come with that. So this is a, a, a brief outline of uh, of how the process works. So dukkha the truth of dukkha Nirodha, cessation of dukkha, is something that is revealed for ourselves, just as the way that we handle dukkha, the origin of dukkha, dukkha samudaya, is letting go. This is the basic, fundamental response to, uh, to craving, is letting go. When uh, we are talking about the dukkha niroda, that, that cessation of suffering, when we break that cycle, when we don't allow it to uh, come into being, or we, we, we break the chain at the weak links, then... Um, the way that we cultivate that or develop that is to realize that. Now, oftentimes when, when we, we say we let go of something, and in that moment the heart feels a quality of, of relief and, and peacefulness. You know, when you, you find your mind obsessing on some thought, some kind of worry or some fantasy, and then you realize, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. And you let go. You, ah, how Pleasant how delightful is the kind of sweetness of beauty that we experience when we've let go of that impulse. And at least what happens in my mind most of the time is that, that like in one fluid motion, that sweetness kind of fades away and my mind starts to doze off. <laughs> because there's, it's pain you know, gets our attention. You know, excitement gets our attention. But peace doesn't get our attention. Nibbana is not interesting. Space does not grab our attention. Like, the silence between the words does not grab our attention. We might even theoretically or even actually quite enjoy it, but the senses are geared to what, what's grabbing, what's, what's interesting. So that we, uh, what the, we experience a difficulty with Dukkha Nirodha not that, because in a theoretical way we think, "Oh, great, no suffering, whoopee!" But what happens is that as the the that presence of dukkha fades, is that we immediately doze off. Like, oh, great, <laughs> nothing to do, take a nap, you know. <laughs> so the trick, or the work that needs to be done, or the effort that needs to be made to really cultivate the path is, uh, is with the dukkha is the realization of that a, a clear apprehension of oh look this is the nature of the mind when there's no dukkha in it it feels like this and even though there's that moment of sweetness when we, we, we relax and let go um, because it's not attention grabbing we drift but if we sustain our attention there if we don't let that drift happen we sustain alertness then we also find that quality of beauty and and peacefulness of spaciousness is also sustained and if we don't make the effort particularly for that it can't sustain itself the the the, the senses are not geared to, to do that they won't stay locked on so that the in the buddha's teaching on this in the first discourse he said Dukkha Nirodha is to be realized, Satchikata Bhanti. You've got to realize it. If you don't realize it, then it, it, it fades from view. It, it, it eludes us. And so it just becomes a kind of numbness or, or uh, we drift off. And then only when the next interesting thing comes along then we, we kind of chirp up again. We kind of perk up and, and are made alert. So to realize Nibbāna then there needs to be this penetration, this it's like awakening, uh, an opening to, to notice that spaciousness. What the mind is like when there's, no, when there's no dukkha. Holding, it's like noticing the space in this room. Noticing the silence between sounds. Noticing the, you know, the space between thoughts. Really apprehending that. And just as when we, we, we find ourselves in a, in a room with nothing in it or nobody in it or nothing happening. If we stop and pause, then there's a kind of flowering that happens. Oh, nice place. That hmm. we don't notice if we're just dashing through or we're just um, busying ourselves with looking at the decor and the, you know, the, the, uh, how the place is built or the, the, the objects in the room. It's an interesting quirk of the Thai language um, that the word for ordinary is tamadā. And uh, it comes from the Pali word dharmata, which literally means of the nature of dharma or of the essence of, of reality. So in, in uh, Mahayana Buddhism, dharmata, dharmata means um, it's like a synonym for ultimate reality, for the, the, you know, the, the, the pure essence of, of, of truth. So it, within the Thai language you have this kind of clue that the, the, the word used for ordinary, for normal, also means ultimate reality, the essence of, of nature, of, of reality, so that it's, it looks normal. It looks completely ordinary, so it escapes our vision. But if you open it up, you can kind of tease it open and, re- and realize it, fully open the heart to it, then there's this experience of, of, uh, of ultimate truth, of, of perfection, purity, peacefulness. So the the last thing I thought I'd um, say this evening um, that uh, we um, we look upon the spiritual path and this kind of investigation into you know the origin you know where we come from and and where we're going you know coming from yeah you know, or that how dukkha arises dukkha ceases And it seems to be so much locked into what I can do with my life. And this is very much a a focus of the Theravada approach, is that do everything that can be done with your life, and then all good will follow from that. That's the the kind of uh, subtext, the implication, the methodology. But the uh, the practices that we've been doing uh, each day like sharing of merit sharing of blessings is a very important part and i also mentioned the other day this is expanded in the mahayana buddhist world into the whole bodhisattva vows of vowing to help all beings and you notice when we do the sharing of blessings that we share the the blessings of our life with with all beings with the you know the good the good ones the neutral ones and the and the bad ones sharing the merit of your life with those who are Friendly, indifferent, or hostile—you know—sharing the merit of your life with, with uh, you know, all of the, the people that that uh, you know that you hate, <laughs> the difficult, and, uh, the the oppressors, and the evil people of the world, the Joe Stalins and Adolf Hitlers, Pol Pot. So you see, the the sharing the blessings of our life. Um, what this is to do with is, is recognizing that yes, we need to do the work ourselves. We need to to uh, say aim our attention acutely at the workings of our own experience, our own mind, but also that our lives affect each other, and that the way that we direct our attention can uh, benefit others, and the way others direct their attention can benefit us. So, um, in this emphasis on on you know working on our our, our minds and. It's it's really helpful to bear in uh, bear in mind also that that we affect each other and we can um, that this sharing of blessings is not just a kind of little thing that we do at the end of the afternoon just to sort of jolly us up before tea time (laughs) have a little bit of a song before a cuppa you know it's because the afternoon's been a bit depressing. But it's a very very important dimension of the whole practice because it's like we're respecting the power of thought. If I say something like um, Edward, you are a a very wise and noble being. (laughs) That has an effect. So instantly, Edward thinks, he chose me. He said, I'm wise and noble, how wonderful, I'm inspired, how beautiful. That's an effect. If I say, Venerable Tenutero, you're a moron. (laughs) He's thinking, I hope he's joking. (laughs) Why did he say that to me? It has an effect. So just in our ordinary verbal exchanges, we have these effects on each other. So that the conscious direction of our attention towards other beings... Like bringing a quality of, of feeling to heart of goodwill, of, uh, of kindness, of well-wishing, and tying that together with a person's, the, the idea of a person, a person's name or some association with them, there's an effect that we have, visible or invisible, that um, the sharing of blessings is, is uh, built around that, that quality of nature. We affect each other. We're interrelated. Our lives overlap. We're, we're all part of a, a, a single organism, if you like, the Dharma. You know, the, the nature itself, we're all part of this, this kind of the, the body of Dharma, the Dharmakaya. So we affect each other. And so what I bring to mind, what I say, what I do, affects other people. What they do affects me. So the sharing of blessings is like taking whatever insight, whatever goodness is manifested in our life and consciously willing that to benefit the lives of others, whether they're dear to us and important to us, like our teachers or our parents, or even we at the other end of the spectrum, those who are our oppressors, those who are kind of cruel and hurtful in the world. That we it's on the understanding that whatever is rather than wishing revenge on those who are harmful or hateful, we are recognizing that the world is not going to get better by me piling more hatred upon others. As the Buddha said, it's only through love that hatred is conquered. Hatred is never conquered through hatred. So that bright, sharing the blessings of our life is a way of consciously um, helping to brighten and assist and support the lives of others. So that even though the focus of our work is on these very you know acute areas of our own minds, then that a deliberate sharing or well wishing that the the distribution of whatever benefits whatever good karma we've created, whatever beneficial elements of our being um, to the welfare of others, then that in a way respects that other dimension of our of our nature that it's not just. Um, me that I'm concerned about, but recognizing that if I do a lot of good for myself, if I develop insight and wisdom and kindness, unselfishness, then that benefits everybody. And, that, uh, and then that conscious um, spreading or sharing is in a way of activating and clarifying, empowering that, uh, that connection and helping others in a, in a direct way. The Buddha said that if you took all of the, the wealth, the whole universe filled with gems and offered it to a, the Sangha with the Buddha at its head, there would not be so much merit in that as if uh, you practice loving kindness for the time that it takes to milk a cow, about 20 minutes. And the, uh, the merit that um, you develop, the good karma that you develop and practicing um, loving kindness for that length of time is outweighed by uh, cultivating, by sustaining the insight into impermanence just for as long as a finger snap. So, just as a thought to leave you with this evening, it's like, just just during today, if you've had one moment of a clear seeing of, of uncertainty, impermanence, unpredictability, just a finger snap. That is, a, talking in terms of worth, <laughs> to get materialistic, <laughs> that is of, of greater value than an entire universe full of gems being offered to the Asanga with the Buddha at its head. Just, and then the consciously sharing that incredible, incalculable benefit with all other beings. What a wonderful way to end your day. <laughs> what an amazing thing to do. To, to consciously wish all of that benefit to to brighten and assist and support the lives of others. What an amazing, beautiful thing to do! What a, a wonderful aspiration, a wish to uh, to offer to the lives of, of others. So, on that note, uh, we'll finish. Let's please take what is useful. Amen. Yeah.
1: Dhamma'a wargata yo sadhu karang dada
0: Shall we finish with Do it in Pali. We could do the, the, the Brahma Viharas chant um, in Pali. We have a bit of a Pali evening tonight on page 20. This is the one we did last night, but uh, in the Pali version, yeah, page
1: 20. Andamayang catarapa manyao Karomasae. Etasaagate. Etasahekang visangvaritava viharati tata dutiyang tata tatiyang tata jatu tang itiyo dhammado dhiriya Sambhati sambhata tayasa bhavanta lokang meta sahagate na chetasa vipole namahagate Tang, the tatu, tang, itio, damado, Re na hambaya bhaje nam barita. Vyarati mudita Sahagatena agate na che tasa e kang disa barita vavyarati tata dutiyang data tatiyang data chatu tang itiyo dhammado teri. Sabati, sabata, sa, and lokamudita sahagate, sa, with polena, maha, gadena, apamane, awe, reena, ha, pa, gena, barita, we are at Sahagatin a jet Kangu pe kasahagatena che tasavipalena maagatena ha na ave re na abaya paje paritava viharati. So, we have